Hey, everybody. Welcome to Tell Me More. I'm your host, Dr. Christine Meyer. On the show, we break down some of the worst conversations in healthcare. Why? Because I believe that together we can build better ones. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Tell Me More, where we are hoping to improve conversations in healthcare. Uh, we've been talking to a lot of patients about a lot of different things and some pretty good and pretty terrible medical conversations they've had in their journeys. Lately, though, and I admit this is partly because of my personal bias, we've been talking a lot about menopause, this normal, in air quotes, uh, stage in life that is really pretty hard to deal with and how some of us as patients don't get the best information and how some of us as doctors don't give the best information. So my guest today has a really special story that kind of brings in so many different aspects of not just menopause, but conversations in healthcare in general. So I, okay, I have to tell you, like when I read your little mini description, like my jaw hit the ground immediately. And then as I talked to you, you know, before we started recording, I I was getting like a little emotional just hearing your story because you are now 43 years old. Um, for the sake of math, let's just say you're 10 years younger than me. And your uh, journey started 15, well, no, five or six years ago, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. So bring our audience up to speed, Sarah. You were, you know, 37 years old, two kids, healthy. And then what happened? And then uh, out of the blue, my world just kind of got turned upside down. Uh, I have a first cousin on my paternal side that was diagnosed with breast cancer and through her treatment process went through genetic testing and found that um, on our father's side, we have a, um, we carry the BRCA gene. So that kind of led to just a fast paced course of what the heck do I do? Um, I have a lot of decisions to make. I have a lot of questions. <laughs> I have a lot of confusion. And so you, um, you're sorry to interrupt you there, but you're, sure. so how old was your cousin when she was diagnosed? Um, she was 36. Okay. So she's super young. She's basically your age. She yep. finds out she has BRCA. She reaches mm -hmm. out to the family. Um, yes. And I'm going to just like pause here for a second. Like, thank goodness you have a cousin who you have a relationship with that mm -hmm. would reach out to you. Like there's so many people who don't have relationships with their cousins. You know, their cousins exist, yeah. but they're not like going to pick up like, hey, sis, guess what happened? You know, um, so you get the call. She's positive, And she says, I was advised to tell my family that they probably need to be tested, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. So then what did you do? What did, did you I like? I told her she was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> this is ridiculous. Like, do you realize that the chances of this happening to me are slim? Like, and I know mathematically that's incorrect, <laughs> but in, in my mind, I was like, there's just, there's, okay, I'll, uh, thank you. And I'll think about it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then I watched what she went through for months and, um, I asked a lot of friends. I asked a lot of family, like, 
what, what would you do? And no one ever gave me an answer. I think they were seeing it very differently than I was, where I was looking for someone to tell me what to do. And I didn't realize that um, it was personal. It had to be my choice. Um, and I, I vividly remember the day that I just sat in my living room and I said, I, I, I have to go today. So you I have to make the call. I waited your, six months. Oh, your struggle, <laughs> like at this point, your struggle is just simply, do I test, do I get tested for the packaging? That yes. like in your mind, that is the biggest decision you need to make right now. You're not yes. even thinking about if it's positive or, you know. Mm-hmm. Wow. So you, you have this information, you sit on it for six months and you consult with friends, family, uh, I'm assuming your husband. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you talk to any doctors as you were trying to decide if you should be tested? I didn't. I, I don't think I knew enough at the time. I think, I think it was kind of coming off the heels of, um, it was, there was a lot of Hollywood news about it. So it was mm-hmm. like, okay, well, you know, if that's what it is, then it is, it, it's okay. It's, I'm not alone and people deal with this and you just have surgery and, and it's, and you're good, but it's, it, it wasn't, <laughs> it was the opposite of what I had told myself. It was. Wow. So you're sitting in your living room six months later after ruminating, you know, over this, and you just have this like blinding moment of clarity. It sounds like where you're like, I need to go get tested. I got to go. And then how did you actually go about get like physically going to get blood taken to get tested? Because you need an order from a doctor, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, Yes. So I, I think because... I actually don't think I had the script. I think because it went through Penn Medicine through my cousin, cousin. Ah, I was able mm-hmm. to go directly to the genetic counselor and they did the testing there. Um, it was right over at Chester County Hospital. Okay. All right. Yeah. So then, so you get the test and how long does it take before you get the results? I think think it was about 48 hours. And what were you doing in that 48 hours? Were you like, it's fine. There's no way it's going to be positive. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I never, I didn't tell anyone that I went and had it done. Just my husband. He was the only one that knew mm-hmm. I didn't. Um, I never told my family. The, the only one who knew that I was debating this was my mother and my mother-in-law, they were the Mm. only ones. Mm. Yeah. And I had gotten the call, um, uh, two days later. What was that call? Like who called you? Uh, the genetic counselor called. Mm -hmm. And And he or she said what? I was at, uh, I was, (laughs) I was getting ready to walk into yoga actually. (laughs) Wow. Um, which may have been the best place to be in the moment because I had to uh, keep composure. Mm-hmm. And she just said, you know, I, I'm sorry, I have to give you the news. 
your test has come back positive. Hmm. So let me pause for one second, Sarah, for people who may not be familiar, and I, I can't imagine too many people aren't familiar, but the BRCA gene increases your risk for multiple cancers. We we mm-hmm. associate it with breast cancer, but not just breast cancer, right? Breast cancer, ovarian cancer, ovarian. colon cancer, and other yes. cancers that we might not even know there's a correlation with yet. So, you know, yes. at, at 37 years old, you have just been handed this news that basically there is a high likelihood at some point in your future, you're going to develop cancer, right? Yes. That's what de- the delivery of you have BRCA, your BRCA positive yes. is, equals you're at high risk for cancer. So yes. you're standing outside this yoga student studio, you're like, you yes. know, you have this shocking news. Did you go in and do your class? No, no, I, <laughs> I, I, I left, I left. And I, 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 I remember driving home almost feeling like my wheels were spinning already, almost as if, what if something is already happening? And I, right. and I don't even know. Mm-hmm. It was in an instant. It went from not if something could happen in the future, but when is it going to happen? It, it, it was scary. Sure. So you're, you now have this news and, you know, in my mind as a doctor, you know, I would think the first thing I do is I go home, I talk to my family, you know, mm-hmm get a gigantic hug from my husband, you know, get reassurance. It's going to be okay. Whatever the initial thing is, but then I would call my doctor and I'd be like, uh, I don't know if you got this report, but I need help. I need to know what to do, but you didn't do that. You didn't have a doctor to go to per se. I didn't. I, I think I took a lot of the lead from the genetic counselor. Mm hmm. Based on the history with my cousin, I kind of took, I, I followed the path knowing, okay, well, if this is what she did, I think this is the same thing that I have to do. I don't know. I I don't know what else there is to do. It was more of just not, um, not so much of really how I was going to do it, but when am I going to start the process? Right. I was really given the option of you could either you could either have have the surgeries, start your path now and start going down the surgical route or you can go the monitoring route. Mhm. And I personally could not follow the path of just monitoring and seeing what would happen. I felt like I already rolled the dice and I mm-hmm. lost. All right. So you're so you're getting this um next steps sort of plan from the geneticist who arguably probably knows the like I would say a geneticist knows more about the BRCA gene than I do as a primary care doctor. Um so she is, you know, basically laying out a path for you and says mm-hmm. you could have this prophylactic surgeries, these prophylactic mm-hmm. surgeries to remove the the 
the organs that could potentially become cancerous, which means yes. taking out your ovaries and, and removing your breasts and having a double mastectomy, right? So that is a path yes. because if you don't have ovaries and you don't have breasts, it's much less likely that you'll develop breast cancer yes. or ovarian cancer, right? Or you are very young, you could just get regular surveillance, like, you know, breast MRIs, uh, ovarian scans, like whatever the surveillance is. So yes. these are the two options presented to you. And you know yourself, you know that if you still have breasts and ovaries, you're going to worry about those breasts and ovaries every single day for the rest of your life. Every day. And you can't live with that. And I'm saying no. that you did not tell me this. I'm saying that because that's exactly where I would be. I'd be like, oh no, get these things out of here. Um, yes. So, so you, you decide that's the path you're going to take. And then, and then what happened? How did you seek out your surgical team? Well, I met with two different um, gynecological oncologists, one that my cousin went to, and then one that was a recommendation from the geneticist. Mm -hmm. And I ended up going with her recommendation just based off my personal preference. I, I felt more comfortable. Um, it, it seemed like a very clear path to me. I understood a lot more from what he was saying in terms of why you would do the surgery and what it's going to be like and what your recovery will be like. It just, it felt a little easier with, with him than it did with her team. So great. This is a perfect opportunity to take a pause. I, I want to hear your entire story, but let's pause for a second and talk about the conversations that you've had so far, right? So you've talked to your geneticist a couple of times, once in the counseling before you got your test results and once mm -hmm. in you know, the post-test results. How How would you say those conversations went? Like good, bad, in between? How would you describe them? I I think in the moment I, I I felt comfortable. Everything seemed to make sense to me. It mm -hmm. seemed I think after you get that that news, it's me personally, I didn't, there was no option. Mm -hmm. I, I knew exactly what I was gonna do had this come out the way that it did. Mm -hmm. Um so getting recommendations kind of thrown at me and here's what you need to do and here's who you need to call and here's the path that you need to take. It just made sense to me. Mm -hmm. I didn't really question any of it because in my mind, I didn't, I, I, there was no option. Right. So I hear exactly what you're saying. So it's almost like the the last thing you would have needed is for the geneticist to say, oh, come in, let's sit down. Let me put my arms around you. We're yeah, going to nope. get through this. You were just, you were like, tell me nope. what to do. I don't yes. need any lovey-dovey stuff. Just give me the information and I'm going. Yeah. That makes so much sense. So I would, I would characterize the information you got from your geneticist as excellent medical advice. Uh, mm -hmm. information, timely medical information, because within two days you have your results, right? Yes. Um, yes. And a very clear path forward, which is, you know, a lot of times, a lot of the criticisms we get as doctors sometimes is like, we we present people with information and then we're like, mm, you know, and then the path is not clear. And that is a terrible thing, a terrible position to be in as a patient, right? Mm -hmm. So, and then your next uh, interaction 
is with two different GYN oncologists. And yes. I'm I really want to hear from you what it was about your cousin's doctor that you were like, no, not that doctor. And we won't name names here, but I'm just really super interested in what makes patients comfortable versus what makes them uncomfortable. And it's different for every patient because clearly your cousin went with this doctor and was very satisfied, right? So tell me, you know, compare and contrast for me the two uh, GYN oncologists that you met with. It was, it was their approach to the surgery actually. Mm. Yes. So the first, the first one that I met with, that was her team. Um, now keep in mind, she definitely had a different experience than I did because she had cancer. So for her, it was very much, they knew what they needed to do. For me, it was, well, you have options, Mm. which is a very odd thing to hear about your body. (laughs) It just, (laughs) it's, it's, it's similar, but different. So Mm. options was confusing to me. Mm. he was, he was wonderful. I, I enjoyed my conversation with him. Um, and then I went and had a second opinion and the approach to the surgery was very different in that it was, um, specifically related to how they felt about keeping or removing your fallopian tubes Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Yes. I found it fascinating. Mm -hmm. And, um, the surgeon that I went with said, the more you keep, the more likely you are of something coming up. Totally makes sense. It does. And I, I think I was just like, (laughs) if it's there, take it. I don't Mm -hmm. want it. I don't need it. I'm done with it. why would I keep it? Um, so I, I just, I kind of went with the one that wanted to just sort of clean house. <laughs> Did the first, <laughs> but it is totally true. It's so, true. <laughs> so, you know, perhaps pause for a second to discuss the female gynecologic anatomy. There is a uterus and cervix, right? Your cervix yes. is the, um, is the beginning part of your uterus. There's your fallopian tubes, which connect your ovaries to your uterus. And then there's obviously the ovaries. And while we all know about ovarian cancer and uterine cancer and cervical cancer, um, there's also a thing called fallopian tube cancer. Um, It's not as, you know, front of mind, but it's definitely a thing. So did the first doctor say to you, you really shouldn't have your your fallopian tubes removed because did like was there a, a reason for that? I think because it's it was not specifically ovarian related. Mm-hmm. You'll just yeah. detach it from the piece that it's that it's kind of hanging on to, and we'll take mm-hmm. that part. So I, even I, though medically that may have been correct information. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I do respect a surgeon that, you know, wants to do as little to you as possible, but, mm-hmm. you know, in your mind, and certainly in my mind, if I was in your position and in the mind of the GYN oncologist, you actually went with, like, if it's in there, it's just something more to worry about. Let's get it out. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yes. 
you went with that surgeon. And I was very interested in your timeline because you moved very quickly. Um, very in fast. August, you had your test, right? Is that, you know, August was your hysterectomy. Mar- yes, March. March was, I think it was March 28th that I got the results. And mm-hmm. March 31st, I was already in for a mammogram. Wow. It, it went, it went fast. Mm-hmm. And then how, and then when was your hysterectomy? August. All right. So like four or five months passed, um, yes. getting everything set up. And then you had the hysterectomy. Um, and then, so you like the surgeon, you like this, the approach, um, and your follow-up care was fine. You didn't have complications or anything. No, no, it was, it was fairly straightforward. Um, the recovery was easy, I guess, I, I guess it wasn't not painful. Um, you do go instantly into menopause. So let's talk uh, about that. Did they, did your doctor prepare you for that? Did he say, when I remove your ovaries, you're going to be like a 51 year old woman? <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, I mean, my husband and I talk a lot about this now. Um, I don't think I heard anything that they said. Oh my God. Absolutely. You, you heard we're taking the organs out that are going to become mm-hmm. cancerous and your yep. life is going to move on. That's what you heard. Yep. That's what I heard. Mm-hmm. And for better or worse, they were very clear. They mm-hmm. were very clear. <laughs> my husband heard different things than I did. Um, and, you know, we kind of joke about it now. It's it's funny, but it's not funny because I'll say like, you know, they never told me this. And he said, well, they did. We were, <laughs> I was sitting right there, <laughs> but I, I didn't hear it. And, and in my defense, I, I I wasn't in a position to hear it. It wasn't anything. um, I was focused on one thing at a time. Mm -hmm. Um, So anything from menopause on, I I didn't. uh, Okay. I, you know, it it wasn't a thought in my mind. I knew that that's what was going to happen, Mm -hmm. but I don't. I don't think that it was explained in a way that I fully understood what it actually meant. All right. So you, so you still have more decisions to make about potentially getting a mastectomy, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. But there's a period of time after your hysterectomy where you start experiencing symptoms of menopause. Yes. Um, Can you tell me about that? When did that start and what were you feeling? That happens right away. They they had told me that um, probably before I even came home from the hospital from the surgery that I would start having hot flashes. Mm-hmm. So within, I, I want to say it was the just the following day they had placed me on a like a low dose hormone replacement. Really? Um, to sort of combat any of the hot flashes and symptoms that I may experience. Hmm. So that surprises me because you're BRCA positive, which mm-hmm. means you have a high risk of breast cancer. And at this yep. time, you still have breasts. 
the worst thing for someone with breast cancer or high-risk breast cancer is hormone replacement. So that is correct. what was the rationale behind it? Was it just like, let's quickly ease your way through this or, or what? That was where I was immediately confused. Mm. And, and six years later, I still am. Wow. Well, so that is something that, you know, there's a little bit of art and science to medicine, right? And, you know, there are definitely times when we're like, this is not the best idea, but here's the reasons to go with it, right? It is not mm-hmm. the best yes. idea to give someone at risk for breast cancer hormones, but here's why, you know, you're 37 years old. This is going to push you off of a cliff. A little bit of hormone replacement is not going to increase your breast cancer risk that much. It's just going to basically give right. you a parachute as you go all over this cliff. Yes. But none of that, none of that was either explained to you or or landed with you, you right. know? So you're like, all right, like whatever they tell me to do, I'm doing. So you have a little mm-hmm. bit of um, hormone replacement. Um, did it help? It did actually. Yeah. Um, the hot, <laughs> the hot flashes did start right away. Um, but I knew, I, I knew that they wouldn't last because I was on this hormone replacement. So, um, you know, the, the two weeks after where it was, it was really bad. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it was almost also sort of comically therapeutic where it was like, this is ridiculous that this is is my life right now. Um, but the hormones did help. It did, it stopped and it went away and, and I I actually felt great. I really did. Um, a lot of what I had experienced in my youth around my menstrual cycle, it was gone. Everything was gone. No more migraines, um, wow. no more pain. It was, it was almost like, gosh, like in a way, this is the best thing that could have happened. Wow. I feel so really good. That's amazing. So you got a little like po- positive, like a silver lining. I did. Um, yep. So that was in August. And then mm-hmm. I'm going to, you know, give people a spoiler here. In October, you end up having your mastectomy. Right. So as you're recovering from this surgery and going through menopause, are you also like immediately thinking about, okay, what's next? Or did you give yourself a little time to breathe? No, I already knew that was, it was all, it was all scheduled at the same time. Wow. So I knew, yes. So my oncologist and my breast surgeon were just across the hall from each other. So I went from one to the other and we, we knew how long the recovery would take from the hysterectomy. And when I would be cleared to go under anesthesia again, to then have the mastectomy. And did you, so let's talk about your breast surgeon now. Did you only Mm -hmm. have one opinion or did you meet multiple doctors? I actually stayed with one. I, I just, I loved them. I really did. I, I felt comfortable and I, it just, I didn't want to overcomplicate it at that point. You were ready to just move on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so tell me about the hysterectomy, uh, the, uh, mastectomy. How did that go for you? Um, that was, that was 
that was scary. Mm, tell me more about that. Yeah. It, I mean, it was, I don't think, again, I think I just, I viewed it in a way that was very commercialized, I guess. Mm-hmm. I just, I thought like, I looked at it as a surgery and I didn't, I I didn't realize until I think I got to the hospital that day, what was actually going to happen. Mm-hmm. And they also said leading up to this, um, you know, you have to understand that there is a good chance that when we take you in for the surgery, that we find something that could potentially already have started to develop into something cancerous. And we won't know that until we go in and do the surgery. Oh, wait a second. So you're, you're just recovering from this big surgery and going through menopause and you're on hormones. So obviously you're hormonal, right? Yeah. And (laughs) and in your mind- And an emotional mess. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. And in your mind, you're like, okay, like this is the last step. I just need to go in there, have my mastectomy. This whole thing is behind me. I move on with my life. And then they're like, oh, by the way, this may not just be a preventative prophylactic mastectomy. We might get in there and you may already have breast cancer, even though your mammogram didn't show anything. You don't have any masses. Wow. So how- how did you handle that news? I I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I was, I, 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 I don't even know. <laughs> well, you, I don't you even know. Thing. So you, but you're like, uh, all right, well, here I am. Uh, we getting wheeled into the operating room. I guess yeah. I'm going to just hope for the best. Hope for um, the best. So then, so you had the surgery. And then mm-hmm. tell me, what do you remember about your post-operative hours and days? Uh, my team was great. They they really were. They were, I, I feel like they were with me for days. I, I really do. They were, they were really on my team. Mm, on your side. They made, on my side. They, mm. I feel like they were constantly in the room with me. They were asking questions. They were checking up on me. I, I I honestly couldn't have been more pleased with all of them. My particularly my plastic surgeon. Mm-hmm. He was he was just I, I I still keep in touch with him. He Aww. was he was wonderful. So you're but you didn't have plastic surgery right then, right? There was a little bit of a waiting period. There was. I had. So during the mastectomy, I had expanders placed. Those are not fun. Those are not fun. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, they are. I, I tell anybody that I talk to now or has questions, I say it's like putting a square piece of plastic into what was a round space. I mean, they are just, they, they are horrible. They are very uncomfortable. So for, and I I knew that you knew that going in. Yeah. Most, uh, most people make a very conscious choice to do that. Even hearing the horror stories. So for people who may not know the theory with expanders is once, once you don't have 
breasts and, you know, your skin is kind of reconnected, you need to make space for um, your uh, implants, implants, right? So that in order to do that, you got to put these temporary space makers in, which basically their function is to stretch the tissues out over several months until there's enough space to go ahead and put implants in. Um, Yes. So thank you, by the way, for helping me come up with the word implants. That is 100% (laughs) menopause brain. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, you just experienced that firsthand. Thank you, Sarah. I hope you don't ever have to deal with that. But um, so, so... You, but you know your who's going to do your reconstruction. Mm-hmm. You've met this doctor. Okay, and tell me you you see you have been so respectful about all of the doctors you met and like had nothing but really good things to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but you seem to have a particular like feeling fondness for your plastic surgeon. Yes. Um, tell me, tell me why. What is it about him or his approach that you feel so connected to? He. He made it very clear that he was going to make me look like me. Mm. So I know a lot of, there's a lot of negative talk around uh, ladies who have made choices to have the same surgery that I have had. A lot of people get judged and looked at as, oh, well, you're getting a free boob job. It is. God. And that's actually been said to me, like, you know, oh, it must be nice to, at your age, get an opportunity to kind of like make yourself look different. And it, it is unbelievable how it's it's viewed as that way for for people i i, I don't want to even say it's their fault i don't think that they realize what they're saying and i, I actually saying, don't yeah. think a lot of people know what to say mm-hmm. so True. i think saying like oh well at least you get like a chance to look brand new again and everything's going to be lifted and perky and it's it's like they've <laughs> they've no idea it's not it's not a boob job. <laughs> it and was the opposite. You paid a very, very high price for this boob job. Sure did. Yeah. <laughs> so, but you, so your plastic surgeon never said those words to you, but he was never. like, I'm going to try to make you whole again, because that's yes. another thing that, you know, you, when you have a hysterectomy, you lose your uterus, you lose your ovaries, you lose your cervix, but those are all mm-hmm. on the inside, right? So mm-hmm. like, I don't wake up every day going, oh, hello, uterus. I'm so glad you're <laughs> yeah. still here. Like we don't even acknowledge it. But right. you know, when you have a mastectomy, like every time you get dressed, every time you try to buy a blouse, every time you look in the mirror, mm-hmm. um, there is going to be a reminder that you don't have breasts, right? So it's so important um, that your surgeon acknowledge that. So tell me about that. Like how did, tell me how his demeanor was when you were getting this information. He just made it very um, clear that anything that was done was going to be with my comfort in mind. Um, my path was my path. There was no rushing it. 
um, if I decide, you know, after the surgery that I don't want my reconstruction right away, I don't have to have it. If I wanted to go as quickly as possible, he would support that too. Mm -hmm. What happens with the expanders um, for, again, for anybody that doesn't know what they do, you actually have to go in and have them filled. Mm, So every couple of weeks you go in and they're pumped with saline and they expand your face, your, your, yeah, your, yeah. What I, I, I don't want to say tissue or muscle because everybody's is different. Um, but it just, they get bigger and bigger and bigger. And then you decide when enough is enough. And that's the size that I would like to be. And then they put the implant in. So you can go as, you know, as big as you want, as small as you want. And I kept saying, I just, I just want to be me. I just, I want, I, I'm, I was not a a large breasted woman. I was very small to begin with. Mm -hmm. Um, and I wanted to just kind of remain that way. I wanted to just look like I looked and again, move on as if this never even happened. So you, you were not me. (laughs) You were not trying to get the boob job. You're I was try- not trying to get the boot. <laughs> You're trying Definitely to, not. Uh, yeah, listen, I just want to be able to wear a t-shirt again. <laughs> yeah. And yep. well, and you, and your surgeon was on board with that. Um, yes. So when you were going in to get those saline uh, implants kind of filled up over time, that's mm-hmm. also not fun, right? No, um, no that, that hurts. <laughs> Is that is that something your surgeon does or was it done by someone in in his office? He did it actually. They put like um it, it's it's actually fascinating. So the expander has like a um a magnet on it. Mm-hmm. And so when they put them in and you don't have a breast, they sort of move around a little bit mm-hmm. and then once they get filled, they shift and kind of reposition into places. And I would go in once a week and they would put the other half of the magnet onto the outside of your skin and they would look for um, where the inside magnet is. And then Mm -hmm. it's almost like a port. And then that's how they would fill them with saline. And it just, it goes right through your skin. It's a needle that just goes right through. That just goes right through. And wow. And how long does that take, that procedure? Uh, Minutes. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was, again, it's one of those things where in your mind, it's it's so confusing because it's such a major thing that within five minutes, I was in and out and on with my day. And it, it... it's it really twists your mind up a little bit because you want to feel like wow that was really messed up and but now I'm going to the grocery store and it's just it's a weird headspace to be in where you feel like you want to be upset and confused and going through some trauma but then on the other hand you're in minutes walking out of the office and Mm. you're like, okay, well maybe it wasn't a big deal. And I'm just 
being a baby about all of this. Wow. So wait, pause again. So this is so important too, because, you know, as a doctor, I've seen hundreds, if not thousands of women who've had breast cancer, had mastectomies, had expanders, had implants, right? And this is how I see it. Like, it almost feels like to the external observer, like there's this one fluid thing that happened over a very quick time. Like she had, oh, that's unfortunate. She had a diagnosis of breast cancer, mastectomy, uh, expanders, implants, recovery, like almost in the cadence that I said it, that's mm-hmm. how we envision it. But yes. that process for the patient is filled with moments of really difficult things, right? Yes. The, the moment you get the news, the moment, you know, they take your drains out after a mastectomy, the moment <laughs> seven or eight times or whatever it is that somebody's sticking a needle through your skin to add saline, like those moments are a lot and definitely like a a brain hit for sure. So, yes. but for you, you had you had this great plastic surgeon and I'm assuming his team is great because generally yeah. great doctors only have great people working for them. Like that's yeah. how it goes. Um, so you go through the whole, you know, get the implants, get the implants the right size. And then what happens? When are you sort of like discharged from your plastic After, um, so when I got to the size that I wanted to be, then you go in and you have the, um, like the swap, they take the expander out and then they put the implant in. Mm-hmm. And that was on, it was a Friday and it's, I mean, it's so quick. It's, mm-hmm. it's in and out. It's a very, very quick procedure. It's a, it's a super quick recovery. I was um, grocery shopping on Monday. <laughs> I took my kids to school <laughs> and it was a very like anti-climactic end to it where you're like, okay, it's guess I'm done. It's wow. It is what it is. And I walked around Wagmans and was like, this is not real life. Wow. This is weird. So so the hardest part was behind you. You had mm-hmm. been through all the hell and this was kind of like uh, the victory lap. Like you did all the training and now you're just done. Um, yeah. And then did you have follow-ups with your plastic surgeon? Because you said that you stay in touch with him even now. Even now I do. Yes. Um, I did not have any follow-up with the gynecological oncologist. Um, The follow-ups that I had with the breast surgeon were just kind of like post-op follow-ups just to make sure that everything healed the way that it should, that Mm -hmm. I wasn't getting any um, scar tissue in odd places. Mm -hmm. And um, with the plastic surgeon, that was to make sure like my movement and every, my range of motion was getting back to where it it could be. Um, Mm -hmm. But then that was kind of it. Mm -hmm. It, And then I was just sort of out there and going through menopause. And so at, at some point you stopped. So you, your, your surgeries are done. Your recovery has gone well, thankfully. Mm -hmm. Um, at some point, did you just stop taking the hormone replacement therapy? Like when did that happen or did it? I'm, 
I'm still taking it and I don't know why I'm taking it. It's a, it, it's a very odd. I, I, I think that's kind of where ladies in my position are now feeling confused because for some, it might be maybe just six months after surgery. Some, it might be a year for me. It wasn't until about two to three years ago. Um, I, I, I feel like garbage Mm. (laughs) and I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know what led to it. Um, I can only speculate that it's now kind of post post menopause where it's, it really is just, it's done. And this is my body now. Mm. Um, I have gone to doctors and there's really, no one really knows what's going on or where to start um in terms of like lab work or anything like that everything is normal um but it's not mm-hmm. and, and i think this is where that menopause life is just it's lost nobody knows who to talk to or where to go um and no one really specializes in hormones or hormone replacements or hormone imbalances Mm -hmm. or just menopause in general. Um, I think sometimes it's looked at, um, aside for me, well, you're getting older and Mm -hmm. this is just your body now. And this is how things happen. Um, but it's, it's not. And I've tried to see, um, I've tried to see an endocrinologist, yeah, um, but they won't see me because there's nothing wrong with me. <laughs> and I've tried to see, um, oh gosh, drawing a blank. I can get it to you after the podcast. <laughs> but I then tried to see this particular doctor who was supposed to be like amazing with hormones and they won't see me because there's nothing wrong with me. And even coming in for just my annual physical, it's like, well, do you need a refill for your hormones? I'm like, I guess. I don't know why I take it or if I should take it or even if it's the right dose. Mm-hmm. I don't know. who Who's prescribing it, Sarah? So it originally came from the gynecologist gynecological oncologists, but they don't refill it because I don't, I'm not their patient anymore. Right. So I just get it filled or, you know, a script rewritten at my physical every year. (sighs) But I don't know if that's, I don't know if it's the right dose. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I've had some doctors say, well, if you take just a half of a pill, maybe you'll feel better. And then I've had some say, take a pill and a half, like twice as much and you'll feel better. 
Some say take the regular dose. It's it's so confusing. I don't know what I'm supposed to take. I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but I know that six years out now, I feel the worst that I have felt since this has started. Yeah. You, and, you, I, and I know it's menopause. You were so, you went through so many hard things and you were like, and you did a lot of grocery shopping, <laughs> you know, yeah, I, did. You're like, <laughs> I did this and then I went grocery shopping. I did this and then I went grocery shopping. Yeah, I felt are, great. Six years later, you're feeling the worst that you have felt and you're on a like hormone replacement therapy in everyone is kind of a big deal. Like it's something mm-hmm. we all should be talking about constantly. And it's especially a big deal in somebody who's at risk for developing breast cancer, even though you right. don't have breasts, like, you know, it's something that we should be having very in, in-depth conversations about. So, and you've, you've tried to see like a gynecologist that specializes in post-menopause. You've been through those paths and no help mm-hmm. there. No. Huh. Well, so obviously I am not here to give you medical advice there, but <laughs> you know, I got to put my mom hat on for a second, even though you're not that much younger than me, but you know, you need, you need to do something different. I, mm-hmm. I think we are, and I'm saying we as doctors in general are doing you a tremendous disservice by just continuing to do your refill. And if it's simply because we don't know what else to do, we need to tell you that. Um, and if you are not feeling good, then something's wrong. Like you don't right. just go on not feeling good for the rest of your life. So, um, I mean, we can talk offline, but I definitely think you need to get a different opinion. You know, it's easy to stay in the path because the path is the path. It's mm-hmm. uh, the least resistance, but it's also, you're not living your best life. And you, you know, you went through a lot. Uh, your life was threatened, I would say, and that's not being overly dramatic, but here you are 43 years old, thankfully without cancer. And you, you did that. You did that by taking all these recommendations and going through all the hard things. So to have you have this lease on life and then have you not live well, cause you feel awful is terrible. Um, yeah. So what's your, do you have a plan to, are you having a physical soon? Um, Have you done some more research? Are you considering other doctors? What's, what's on your mind right now? So I think that's where the whole menopause world gets so confusing. Um, I, it felt like for a while when I was trying to like take a path and see like, well, who specializes in, in hormones and how does that work and how do they know and how do they test? And it's, they're very unclear answers and a very unclear, sorry, that's my dog (laughs) and a a very unclear path of it, it. It's almost like a topic that no one really wants to touch. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard. a very, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's a, it's a hard subject because it's very different for each woman. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that there's like, you know, one general answer, like, okay, well you just go on a hormone replacement. It, it really doesn't work that way. It's very trial and error, but I don't know 
if I know or if anyone knows really where to go or who to talk to. Um, mm-hmm. Even starting with a primary doctor, it's, well, well, where do I go? What do I, what do I do? Who do I talk to? And I actually did get a recommendation um, through um, my last physical. And I did go to see um, this particular doctor. I, <laughs> I, I was not a fan. I, oh. I didn't get very warm and fuzzies from it. Um, my husband does argue though, it is the only person that I went to that actually gave some answers, whether mm-hmm. I wanted to hear his answers or not. He actually gave me some direction. So I may revisit that path. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, I, I can't wrap my head around how someone particularly with a medical history like mine, how do you just, how do you take medicine without knowing if that's going to help me or harm me? Right. And when you get conflicting information from multiple medical professionals, it just, my head is spinning again. I, and you just don't, you don't know where to go. So I know I'm not the only one you just, so you just don't do anything (sighs) and you hope for the best. Mm -hmm. I'm very active. I, um, I exercise, I, I eat decently well. Um, I, I play tennis competitively. So it's not, I'm not sitting home eating ice cream and watching TV. Um, Yeah. And I feel like crap, like every bone in my body aches. Um, I have consistent weight gain, Mm. which is odd considering how active I am. Um, Sleep is horrible. And I now have hot flashes again. And I don't know. And I don't know why. (laughs) I, I know. So and you I, want to have a glass of wine, but then you sweat. <laughs> God almighty. So I I mean, I think that you're this is not how I wanted your story to end. <laughs> I wanted I, it's I wanted, not gonna end this way. No, hell no. <laughs> I mean, I really wanted this to be like such an uplifting story of like how you got this horrible news and then you know, now here you are six years later living your best life. And that is not what's happening. Um, And largely because you have not gotten the care or the explanations that you need. Um, So I, but I think that's a lot of women. That's yeah. I think that's menopause. It is. That's menopause. It is. It it is. uh, Why? It's just no, it's like an untouchable subject. Right. Right. It's bizarre that something so big that literally happens to every woman, no one wants to be responsible for. Right. Right. It's, I don't, I don't know why it seemed, it seemed like, you know, it's, it does happen to everyone. So there should be a plethora of 
options and answers and information. And I'm the more time goes on, the more I find that it's no one really wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to talk about it. Hmm. I have definitely had those very experiences, you know, personally and professionally. And I think it comes from just a, a lot of times if we don't know what to say or do, we either don't say anything or we say the wrong thing. Um, And the other piece about menopause is that it is so different for every woman. So some women sail right through and are fine. And some women struggle with every little bit. But I think focusing specifically on you, Sarah, you are a very unique situation. You are very young. You've been through a lot. And even though you had a hysterectomy and a mastectomy, you are still BRCA positive and you're still on hormones and they're not helping you <laughs> right now. Right. Right. So <laughs> right. there is just so much that's wrong with how your story is at this moment. Um, I can certainly give you recommendations for gynecologists that I absolutely adore, but I also think you just need a doctor that's going to be in your corner, whether it's your primary care doctor or maybe the GYN oncologist or maybe another gynecologist, whether or not they're menopause specialists. I think you need you need to find that vibe you had with the plastic surgeon with another doctor. And like if you were my patient um, as a primary care doctor, what would I do? And I've been trying to like reason through this as you've been talking. Um, first of all, we would do like another whole bunch of blood work and review all of the tests that you've already had. Like that's the first step. The second step is to have a real serious heart to heart about what to do with your hormones. And honestly, six years out and the fact that they're not helping you, you need to get off of them. And Mm -hmm. this conversation would be, you need to get off of them and expect that you may feel better or you may feel worse. (laughs) And I say that because we don't know, but definitely- You're on something that has potential risk and no benefit. Um, And then the next thing I would tell you is, let's say that you feel worse, right? Let's say you're like, oh, well, the hormones were doing something for me. Then we have a different, you know, conversation. Like, here's the risk. Here's the benefit. Maybe it's that you need a different type of hormone. Maybe it's that you need a different dose, different dosing regime. But what if you feel better off the hormones? Hallelujah. Right. But, you know, right now it's like the, it's the evil, you know, so you're certainly not mm-hmm. going to stop taking it on your own. Right. Um, but if you had a partner that was going to walk you through the good and the bad and all of the options, just like your geneticist said, I think you'd feel a lot more comfortable. Um, that's what I want for you. So, and so I are really- there doctors that specialize in just hormone replacements? There are doc, there are gynecologists who hang that shingle, right? And they say, like, come see me. I'm a hormone specialist. But mm-hmm. is there like a formal fellowship trained, you know, post-menopause kind of thing? Not that I know of, but there's yeah. definitely doctors that are just better at it than others. Um, so, and because you're local, like I said, I'll give you some names um after we stop recording, but you know, this is this is exactly what this podcast is about. You know, sometimes you can get great care 
and get exactly what you need. And, you know, some doctors would argue like, listen, you're alive today and you're cancer free. You know, doctors did exactly what, what they were supposed want? to do for you. <laughs> right. Um, but the other piece of what we do is improve people's lives every day. So it's awesome that you're alive, but there's more to life than just having a pulse, right? There's doing everything you want to do. There's being active. There's being with your kids. It's not being depressed. It's not gaining weight. It's like sleeping. It's all of these pieces. I think that should be, you know, your next layer. You did it exactly right. You dealt with what had to be dealt with in order to, you know, preserve your life and your longevity. You did that. Now the focus in your medical care has to be about your quality of life. So I and will- it's so interesting to hear, like I, uh, a lot of my close friends and family, um, you know, they, some of the ladies um, are saying, oh my gosh, I'm starting to have like these feelings. And I'm wondering if this is like a perimenopause or if my body's changing and they'll say to me, like, who do I talk to or where do I go? And they look at me like I should know and be able to help. And it makes me so sad and so angry when I'm like, mm. deal with it. Like, <laughs> it. It is what it is. And I don't want to say that because I know there has to be a path for women to not feel like crap. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what it is. It's like, it's fatigue. It's insomnia. It's mood swings. It's weight gain. And it hits you like a ton of bricks. And I think for me, when I thought, okay, well, this all happened, you know, six years ago, why the heck am I feeling worse now than I did then? And that's, Mm -hmm. what's weird where it's like, okay, well, I'm still taking the same hormone, but maybe I shouldn't be, or maybe I should be taking something with it. Mm -hmm. And, but then like you were saying, then you hear other doctors say, well, that's probably not the smartest thing to do maybe you shouldn't do that. You're like, mm-hmm. I, I'm just, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing then. And I, I'm and, not a doctor. So, right. You know what? But I, there definitely is a path for women. There, there has to be. And hopefully this is the start to something. You know what I, I would say there, I mean, obviously we're not going to solve this tremendous problem today, but this is what I think. I think that what you're describing is not a problem of, you know, there's a absence of a menopause specialty in the world and we need to create that special training for doctors, right? I think mm-hmm. what's very apparent is there is not, you are not finding the right doctor to partner with in this very confusing issue. You know, if mm-hmm. there was a great menopause specialist, it would be so easy. Just go see the great yep. menopause specialist. But when that specialist doesn't exist, you need to be able to lean on your primary or your gynecologist or your oncologist as your partner through this very difficult uh condition that doesn't have good answers. And like I said, you know, I I talked to so many of my patients who have menopause and a lot of times the conversation truly is this, like, I'm not sure, but let's try this path. Right. 
And then, and the most important thing about saying that to a patient is being there on the other side of that path. So Mm -hmm. when you call or you message or whatever, you're like, Hey, you remember that path you put me on? Well, it sucks. It's horrible. It's not what I wanted. And then that's not where we're supposed to say, well, I don't know what to tell you now. That's when we're like, all right, let's get back to the drawing board. Let's try this different path. So it's not that there isn't a menopause guy or girl up there that is the be all and end all of menopause. It's that because we don't really know, we just leave our patients flapping in the breeze. We try one or two things and we're like, yeah. I, I don't know what to tell you. So I think for you, if I were you, instead of like being on this endless chase for the right menopause person or hormone specialist or menopause specialist, Find the doctor that you have the best relationship with. And unfortunately, I don't think it can be your plastic surgeon because (laughs) he's definitely going to be like, listen, no, but you know, any other, like, like I said, primary gynecologist or even GYN oncologist, or maybe even medical oncologist and not, it's not the specialty you're looking for. It's the relationship because Mm -hmm. I think because it's not an exact science, the key is going to be navigating that uncertainty in a way that helps you the most. And that's going to come from a particular kind of doctor, not a kind of specialty that they've been trained in. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, it's not sense. easy to find. It's not easy, but I'm telling you. And, and for you, I I firmly believe in like word of mouth you know, I would say if you have a friend who has an amazing doctor that they just adore, that's helped them navigate things, hard things, easy things, that's a really good start. Um, as opposed to like, who knows about hormones? Right. I think you'll get a lot, a lot farther. And like I said, I will send you some recommendations. Um, I so appreciate you taking the time. So you brought up so many critically important issues about your journey that I think are going to help so many women. And I'm hoping too, for doctors listening that see women going through menopause, whether it's surgical menopause, natural menopause, whatever, we don't have to have the answers. We just have Mm -hmm. to be advocates. We just have to help people navigate that uncertainty together. We do it together, you know? And I think, I think a patient will rely on our what we know, right? And rely even more heavily on the trust they have in us because we have a great relationship with them. So um, I'm hoping that that's what people take from this episode, which has turned into so much more than I ever imagined (laughs) it would be. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Is there any last words you want to leave our listeners with, whether it's doctors, patients who've tested positive for the BRCA gene, or just women going through menopause? Is there any last words that you think you want to leave everybody with? I I think that I think that sometimes in explaining this or talking about it, it sounds hopeless or um complaining or I should be thankful or it, it when it comes down to it, it is what it is. This is this is something that is, it's unique. I think about it every day. It weighs on me. 
literally and figuratively, it it weighs on me. And I don't want to feel this way for the rest of my life. I have two young kids. I have a very active family. Um, it doesn't have to be like this. And I, I am hopeful that, that there is someone out there or something out there that over time can help people like, like me. Um, it's, you know, we're all going through this together. It's very different, but we're all going through the same thing and we really do need each other. Um, Mm -hmm. and I am more than willing to talk offline to anyone that has questions. Um, I've tried to, help as best I can with some other ladies that have reached out in um, similar situations as mine. It's a very personal journey. Um, Everybody's got their specific plan that they want to follow. Uh, What was right for me is certainly not right for everyone else. These were my choices. Um, I would never push that on to anyone. Um, I had to make the decisions that were best for me and my family at the time. Um, but I am more than willing to speak to anyone if they have questions or want to know any of the doctors that I went to, because I really do love all my doctors. So if they're listening, I, I enjoyed my time with you. Um, I have no complaints, (laughs) but you should have told me about this. (laughs) I wish I knew that this was going to be the end result. (laughs) This is, you know, beautifully said last words, Sarah. So again, thank you so much. Um, This is, I think, my 28th or 29th episode. And honest to God, it is one of my favorites. I feel like I have learned so much from you. Um, Justin, you know, like I said before, that little thing that seems like, oh, she had a mastectomy and reconstruction and how all that little snippet is like filled with all of these moments of utter hell. Um, So I will say the same thing to you. If I can help you in any way, please reach out to me for everybody listening. uh, Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Tell Me More, Better Conversations in Healthcare. My guest, Sarah, just shared an amazing and difficult story about being BRCA positive as a 37-year-old and all of the things she had to do to navigate that. Um, And we're ending on my favorite subject these days, menopause, and how it seems to be (laughs) (laughs) the be-all and end-all that, you know, nobody can get their head around. If you have had a terrible medical conversation or a great one for that matter, I want to hear about it. Please email me, Christine, at Christine Meyer, MD. Thank you all for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Are you ready to join our conversation? Just go to Facebook and search Christine Meyer, MD. Follow us to join 14,000 other people committed to creating better conversations in healthcare.